Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Ray Allen Canine. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine equipment. We use their products every single day at both Van Ness Canine and at Torchlight. Their mission statement says it all, to be the world leader in quality innovation for professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport. Tend to exceed their customers' expectations and deliver on time every time at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe that they've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine, not just police dogs, but for any working dog. This episode is also brought to you by our good friends over at Dogtra, dogtra.com. It's the e-collars that Ted and I use. It's the e-collars most police dog guys use. Dogtra.com, e-collars, bark collars, ball launchers, one-stop shop for everything you need for your working dog, dogtra.com. One of the other sponsors we're proud to have is Hits Canine Training Conference. It's the premier Amer- it's the premier canine training seminar in the United States, packed in the room with the world's best instructors covering important topics from admins to liability to detection work, all and tracking and everything in between. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. Hits 2022 is being held in Orlando in August. Uh, so hit them up, hitscanine.net. We're super happy to be uh, represented by our good friends at Kinetic Dog Food. Uh, we've got great reviews from people all over the place. Uh, ever since we, we joined up with them and partnered with them, their uh, commitment to your dog's nutrition is top-notch. KineticDogFood.com. Check them out. Jim over at NC Canine out in North Carolina. It's the culmination of 13 years of experience in handling or training uh, law enforcement canines. They use real-world deployments to develop their training program and rely not only on their experience, but the current experience of the nation's canine handlers provide the best canine partner you can get. They provide pet training and police canine training based out of Four Oaks, North Carolina, and they serve the surrounding areas as well as nationally. Feel free to call them and learn more about their dog training program, police canine techniques and methodologies. We got a brand new sponsor, man, American Aluminum Accessories. Uh, my entire time in canine and ever since I've been involved in the dogs, the kennel in the back of our cruisers has always been American aluminum. Uh, check them out. Uh, we're so happy to have them on here. Easyrideronline.com. Easyrideronline.com for everything you need from American aluminum accessories. Speaking of kennels, once you get out of the car, you got to have somewhere to put them. So our friends up in Ohio at Horizon Structures make a one-stop shop for kennel. If you want a two-dog kennel or if you want a 20-dog kennel, they got you covered. They get those things built and they drop it off at your house. All you got to have is a pad, electricity, and water, and you can put dogs in it that day. Horizon Structures can build you anything from mild to wild, and it is the one-stop shop, and you don't have to swing a single hammer. So hit them up, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody, we're Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bike we are back uh, another great episode um with i am from i'm eric stanbro from canton ohio uh, sitting in my bedroom with a pet german shepherd on place who bit me a couple of days ago so this uh, i might be doing this on youtube if you're looking looking over here quite a bit uh with me as always from Tulsa, oklahoma is ted summers ted what's going on uh today is the hottest day in like the last 16 months in Tulsa, uh, and I can tell. Um, <laughs> it poured rain yesterday, and then the sun came out. So it's like a sauna. It's fucking awesome. Uh, yeah. So we're in a, and as um, many, we're in a, started today, we're right. in a, like a 74, 75 degree max yeah. out for about a week. I think it's because of the hurricane. Um, yeah. it's well, when you're, pretty- 
Nice. When your fucking lake freezes over this winter, don't cry about it. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to post those pictures on Instagram and be like, oh, I can walk across it. I'm like, ah, oh, that sucks. I'll do it for five <laughs> minutes and then back in the house. Yeah, no shit. So I in the hundred and however, I don't know what episode, depending on which order we air these in, this is like 140 or 50 or something. Uh, this is the first time I've had my dog out. So my dog is laying in the floor, my stupid Malinois. So uh, nice. yeah, if you see me looking to the side, uh, he's asleep though. He's fucking, he's old. He's still a shithead, but he's, he's asleep. So uh, other than that, I'm just got pet shit. I, I got a uh regional training day with a bunch of law enforcement guys on friday that i'm taking my interns to um so i got the murder weenie we have a bunch of pet dogs um we're working a bunch of our um single purpose explosive and narcotics dogs too but other than that it's uh <laughs> working in the morning so oh and i'm finishing up the deer tracking dog which has been interesting uh i have a griffin or what is she a wire i don't know what the, she looks like a gsp with like the wired like wire that one she's one of those mm-hmm. and so i'm teaching her to track deer i did all of her off-leash obedience and the people that own her have like a couple hundred acres south of here and they have like a private i don't know they wanted to track deer i'm like oh all right so that's been an interesting process uh because i don't hunt so there's that mm-hmm. but uh yeah i mean she's doing great i mean she, I, I know what the odor is so i'm but other than that it's just hot i'm waiting for summer to end <laughs> what about you uh <clears throat> what uh, we have one work, one canine left in the kennel from before I take my little break. And I sold him today um, to a department in South Carolina. They're going to, it's been a kind of a race to see. So I, I quoted him to five departments, I think two vendors. Yeah. And uh, it's a race to see whose admin are, are less douchey and can get their shit done in this agency got it today somebody called me about him one of their handlers because i sold them a dog before i said i got this dog he's darn near finished here's the price i said but here's the thing i need to know today if not i i'm i'm just tired of waiting um and they their captain called me within two hours because we'll take him i was like done um so i have to call back some other people and say sorry there was our buddy byron was trying to get him but their agency had to go to council and i'm like listen i'm you should, police departments, if you're listening, have your ducks in a row before you call the vendor. It's like buying a house. Go get pre-approved. Have your shit ready to go. Don't come to me and say, you like this dog. You need to go to your um, county commissioners and have them read it three or four times. Nah, I'm out. I'm done. I'm yeah. done dealing with that. So anyways, he, yeah. Vinny will be, the guy's going to come up. The handler's an experienced handler. So he's going to bang up here next week for about 10 days. Uh, it's just a familiarization. This dog is literally plug and play. He'll he'll go home. Him and his unit will finish. Which one? Get him, Vinny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll get him ready for. Um, Shit, he's almost done. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. Yeah. He, fucking start yeah. him on cars Monday. He's already wrapping up, working a full car. So, um, tracked a half mile yesterday. Um, he's he's good. Dog. He's good. We got to teach recall, bite out, which I started today is easy. And um, something else, but we started his halfway down today for the certification where he's got to stay for two minutes and then come and you down him halfway. He did it the first try. So easy, easy. Uh, and then the other dogs that I'm training for our buddy Scott down at uh, Next Level Kennels, 
they're about done. And I, I'm going to have him come up in a, in a week or so, two weeks and get them. Then there'll be no working dogs in the kennel till November. I'm sticking to it. I've already passed. I've already passed on agencies buying dogs. I said, I need a break, man. I can't clean up any more poop. I can't do it. Yeah. So what, what, uh, what do we got going on today? Well, today, uh, it's kind of a continuation of the episode that we just posted um, that while well, it is in line from this one, uh, right before this one, um, with the, um, Ron from uh, the Vietnam era and telling a story about using a fucking 45 and a six foot leash. <laughs> so, Nuts. Uh, yeah, and he's, you know, and he taught he, towards the end of the interview, he explained like the background and like he's now in the background of the whole of that foundation. So we have the current um, and Marine handler, um, which we're going to talk about that program and everything that he did with that plus um, the foundation continuing like the modern where that's going but um tonight we have chris willingham on uh chris what's going on man i'm doing good doing good appreciate y'all having me on have an opportunity to spread awareness about our organization yeah for sure we're super stoked to have you guys on um so give us a little bit of your background like pre um foundation and we'll kind of work our way from there yes sir so i was uh i was born and raised in tuscaloosa alabama and then i've served in the Marine Corps for 20 years from 1999 to 2019. And 17 of those years I was in K-9. So whether it was a handler, uh, trainer or instructor down at Lackland, uh, kennel master, and then ended up the, the program manager for the MARSOC NPC program uh, before I retired. Um, and I've been working with Ron. I've known him for probably 15 years. Uh, I was on the receiving end of support from the U.S. War Dog Association. So when he asked me to take over we've been going through that transition and coming to a completion here pretty soon but overall it's been a been a great ride so you get in would you say 1999 is when you got in the marine corps yes sir yeah and um what did uh so you you go through um marine corps basic what were you doing before you got into the into the dogs what was your job that was uh so like the canine at that point, there was no MARSOC. There was no other like IDD or any kind of program. It all came through military police. And my first uh, roommate was a uh, dog handler. So I got to the oh. fleet. I've been in the fleet for like probably six months uh, before I got a chance to go to canine school. And my first, uh, but my first roommate's like, man, you got to come check out what we do. And at that point, I had no idea they had dogs in the military. And I went down to the kennels and, uh, I was hooked. I was like, man, how do I do this? And started mm -hmm. volunteering all the time. And uh, I had I had a little bit of a different route to get into K9. Like I, I won the board legitimately and I'll 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 take that to the to the grave with me. However, there was a demonstration uh, where they were doing a demonstration for like Boy Scouts or something at the base. This was back in back in ninety nine. And uh, one of the guys had put uh, marijuana in his truck. And that guy was on nights and he woke up and drove off halfway through the demonstration. And I happened to hear what hotel he was staying at. And I was a new guy. I wasn't canine. Mm -hmm. uh, and I drove out there and found the bag of marijuana hanging out of the back of his uh, gas tank from a, like a beat up Chevy S10. <laughs> so that was, a good, that was a good start to get into the, get your foot in the door yeah. to become a dog handler to keep your future boss out of trouble. That's hilarious. So you're uh 
where did you, when you were in the fleet for a little bit, where are your floats, where'd you head out to? So I was in, uh, I started at Lejeune um, and I went down to Lackland Air Force Base training dogs and uh, spent seven years at Camp Pendleton at the 1MF K-9 platoon. Um, and I went overseas five times, uh, three of them were combat deployments. Uh, one was to uh, Operation Spartan Shield and uh, one was to Israel where we went over there and just trained with our OCATS unit for uh, for some of our specialized search dog stuff. So I think one thing that was unique about, I mean, just being at the right time, right place and um, having some unique opportunities, but coming in at 99 before 9-11, uh, you all see the mission was very different. And then mm -hmm. uh, after 9-11, you started adjusting your capabilities to meet the threats that are overseas. And obviously the number one threat to coalition forces was improvised explosive devices. And so, um, I think I had one of the best peer groups coming up through the Marine Corps, and uh, we were on the, some of those lead of those initiatives for brand new programs, uh, for one being the specialized search dog program, where you, now you want a dog, you're talking about Ron going six foot in Vietnam, you know, now we got this off leash yeah. capability of dogs going forward, um, and then it got to the point where uh, we could even put radios on their back. So not necessarily cameras, but radios where I could send the dog forward and I had a push to talk and I could talk to my dog while she's out in front of me. Um, and for training wise, I could send her four or 500 yards with no problem. Um, and obviously you train well above what you're expected to do in combat. But mm -hmm. in combat, if you want me to go 20 yards in front of me on average, like she was a, she was a robot, you know, I could, I would always maintain that distance in training, but I was very fortunate to be part of that program. Um, because that was a direct initiative from what the threat was over in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we also were down at Lackland, we brought back the, the combat tracking dog program from Vietnam um, and got to see its growth and development mm. and success. And we got to see the Yuma Proving Grounds um, down in Arizona. And it became a three week course where you, you, know, you had to go through that before you deployed as a dog handler. Um, and it is that course alone saved a lot of lives. And, so it was, it was a very unique opportunity looking back at my career of being able to see it go from strictly law enforcement mission uh, to full on being, you know, combat enablers and, um, and to end with MARSOC, you know, where at that point you're talking about anything the teams are doing, you're doing anything the teams are getting employed, you've got to be able to employ with a dog from helo casting to fast roping or pedaling and just making sure you, your dog is, uh, at the end of the day, it was all about recovery, you know, can your dog do those things and still recover and do their primary mission once they're on target. So I've really enjoyed that whole process and seeing the evolution of the military working dog program, especially in the Marine Corps over the last 20 years. So we had, we had uh, Dustin Wynn on and he was talking a little bit about the uh, stuff you guys are doing with training out there on the West coast. And uh, I got to tell you, I've been fucked because I'm an okay swimmer, but uh now, I don't know about that. Some of the shit you guys were doing as trainers in there, yeah. you know, and, and as trainers, you're older than the guys that you're working with. Right. Absolutely. I worked, I worked for Cobra canine on the West coast seal contract. And I was 40, 42, 43 years old. And, uh, we didn't, we didn't do any swimming when I was there. Um, cause you don't want to go in the Coronado Bay, you'll get sepsis. So we stay, you know, I was like, nah, no, thanks. But, uh, yeah, I would have been screwed. Um, I'm a little old to, I guess I could have got better at it, but, uh, Dustin's throwing me out of million helicopters. I think he enjoyed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't name your name, but, uh, yeah, we figured out who he was talking about. So, um, 
going back to uh, Alabama, were you a dog guy growing up? Do your family have dogs or anything? Yeah, we had dogs growing up, uh, growing up our whole lives. And my whole thing was my dad was, uh, uh, he was in narcotics. He was a, uh, with the Alabama Bureau of Investigation. And mm -hmm. so he was always undercover. So we didn't really have a, uh, a dull moment in the house. I mean, we had, mm -hmm. it was one day a guy got out of prison and came straight to our house the day he got out of prison. And uh, we lived up in the country away from everybody and forced himself in. And uh, am I, I don't know how much I can tell on this, but my, he, uh, uh, my dad said, let's go outside and talk about this. And he locked the door behind him. And I was like 12 years old. Um, man, he, he taught that dude a lesson out there, in the, out there in the yard. Walk <laughs> <laughs> around and find out, buddy. You're going to oh, come to my house. Shit. Come on, man. So your dad undercover was T, uh, did, was it a motorcycle gang? What was T? What was his? Uh, he, mostly, he worked on a DEA task force. There was a lot of narcotics, and mm -hmm. and he was the guy who would he would be undercover for a long time until he got a little too well known. Then he would be the guy who would you know work the informants, uh, work them up the chain. And uh, my goal when I first joined, I was I, I you know I was enjoying life in Tuscaloosa. I was just going to go join the Marine Corps for some life experience. Like I said, there was no it wasn't about deployments at that time. And mm -hmm. I was going to do four years and come back and go be a state trooper and go work with my dad and uh, becoming a dog handler and nine 11 kind of changed everything for me. And uh, definitely found my path of life and been passionate about it ever since. Where were you assigned at when nine 11 happens? And you're, you're working a dog as just as a police officer. I yeah. I was at a uh, camp Lejeune, North Carolina. We had uh, me and this guy, Matt Pearson were roommates. We actually had a room in the kennels, um, uh, and we justified it so we could take care of the dogs on the weekend during some of those uh, some of the bad weather. But it was it was pretty nice, uh, pretty nice setup. Uh, but we were actually supposed to go up to yeah, you, know, you go support UNGA, United Nations General Assembly, every year, and it was in mm -hmm. September. And there's other couple dog teams are already up in New York on 9/11. And me and Matt were supposed to be flying up there in a couple of days. And then you wake up and you obviously see the news, and that kind of changed everything. And we shut down all the gates, and everybody started doing searching hundred percent of the vehicles and just kind of went from there, kind of changed, changed life as we knew it. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was a, that was a Kansas North Carolina. So, uh, at this time, um, I don't, Marsoc wasn't even a, a unit then, right? No, no yeah. Sure. I mean, they didn't, they weren't set up for a little bit longer than after that. So, um, talk a little bit about the first deployment with the dog, um, where, <coughs> Uh, talk about the first deployment with the dog um, after after 9-11. So I had uh, I had military working dog, Luca, who was a she was a specialized search dog. So, again, train to search off leash. And um, uh, we our first one, we we were just south of uh, Baghdad uh, during the surge. And it was uh, a place called Arab Jabor. And it was um, there hadn't been any military forces in there in about nine, 10 months. And our job was to go through and just clear house because they hasn't, they started receiving car bombs and started receiving rocket attacks in the Baghdad. So they said it was a, it was a, uh, a battalion led effort to go down and just clear house. We set up two patrol bases throughout the next you know five or six weeks um, along the Tigris River on route that. And so the, it was me and uh, this guy, Corey Weens. And so when I first get there, it was just like, it was just like you talk to your young Marines about and, and just the way you kind of, the way we prepare for combat is you got to go in as a dog handler. You, you, I don't, I'm not organic to that unit. So I've got to make them a believer. 
I've got to do a capabilities limitations briefs. I got to do demonstrations with my dog. I got to make you a believer in my capabilities. Um, like for my, my first deployment, I supported like five different units. Like you would, you would go in until things died down and they would move you to the next spot. You had to do it all over again, make a good name for yourself, started getting by name requests for the dog. And then you had to go and do it all over again. So the first one I was with, uh, uh, first and the 30th um, uh, mechanized infantry battalion just south of, of Baghdad in Operation Marn Torch. And uh, we're going south. Um, the first thing that we searched was a, uh, it was Saddam Hussein's, uh, is a horse stables and pool house uh, on the Tigris River. We turned into patrol base Murray. And from there, uh, we just pushed south. Uh, just a couple hundred yards every day and just kept taking and blocking and holding as we went. Now this is like house to house clearing and searching roadways and holding roadways. So we did a little bit of everything. And sometimes you'd go out on two or three patrols in one day, um, but just cause we're taking just a little bit of turf at a time, but I would be bouncing around from different platoons because there's only two of us, two dog handlers in this entire operation. Um, and Luca's first find was uh, on a choke point. So, and I think one of the one of the best counter ID methods is your route selection. So if you're just going to tell me to get to an objective, I'm going to pick you know a shitty route just so we, you know there's not a likelihood of being IEDs there. That's the that's the mission. Let's get to the target. Um, however, sometimes the mission is to clear the route, and that's uh, you know those are sometimes end up being some of the worst ones. And mm-hmm. so we end up developing this method where well, we'd have a bird dog who was basically like a, a local national who probably planted the IEDs like six months hmm. earlier. Now he's, we're paying him to tell us where they're at. Uh, so he would look, see if he saw any indicators. Um, he would give us a nope, I don't see anything. And then I would send my dog and she was at this point on radios and I could send her up the left-hand side of the road, bring her back, obviously using some wind to my advantage, right-hand side of the road, bring her back. So a very thorough search because the, the mission was to clear the route. And then we'd drive over the middle of it with a you know big buffalo just to uh, get, they had the, the x-ray capabilities and they're, checking everything as they're going as well. And we just did 50 meters at a time. Um, and we come up to a, a choke point, uh, which are obviously a big vulnerable point for IEDs. And the first two were clear. And then the third one we came up to, uh, Lucas started showing me that uh, change of behavior, you know, the intent sniffing, the tail going, uh, a little more interested in that area, slowing down her pace. And I didn't need to wait for a final response. I didn't need to wait for her to, you know, give me a, the passive response. Like I'd seen enough in her and know my dog's capabilities that uh, that's an explosive device or a potential one. It's enough for me. We're in combat. Why well, risk it? So I brought her back to me. Um, we all got at a safe distance and uh, EOD at the time, they would, uh, it, it, there wasn't a whole lot of HME being found in Iraq at this point. It's a lot more conventional uh, or uh, yeah, conventional explosives. Uh, HME was more prevalent in, later Iraq and then Afghanistan. Um, so when they, they went up there and uh, they would take a water charge and take the top layer of dirt off. And a lot of times you're exposing like one, five, five rounds and you can see what kind of an IED you're dealing with. Well, this one was HME. And when they did the water charge, it uh, detonated the, the IED and they estimated to be about 30 pounds of, uh, of HME buried about a foot deep right in yeah. the chokehold. Um, and so that was the first time, I mean, it, just a moment of nobody was injured. We're all at a safe distance, but a, a, a huge moment of just validation. We put in a lot of, a lot of work, man, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and a lot of extra. The training day's over, and I would just take her on these walks behind Camp Pendleton Kennels, and I would just 
always put in those those extra couple reps with her, uh, and that was a, just a very validating validating moment uh, during her first find. And we we um, she was I mean, there was just a lot of shit to find in that particular area between car. She responded on a car bomb that was set up to be a V bid. Um, we found uh, two uh, insurgents uh, through her capabilities. Uh, we found the top IED maker in our area because of her capabilities. Wow. Um, and Corey was doing just as well. I mean, me and Corey, it got to the point where they let me and Corey help plan the missions if it was based around uh, explosives. So for example, we had, uh, we were getting a, a mortar from the North onto our patrol base. And the general idea thinking at that time was, well, they're not bringing out you know, a bunch of mortar rounds and firing them. Like they've got a cache out there. They come dig one up, fire it, and they take off. Um, and that was a pretty common tactic back then. So they started asking us how we wanted to do it. And so me and Corey came up with a plan and we go out there with two different squads and we get lined up We uh, right before daybreak. And we start sweeping in the area about where the poo site would be. And Corey ended up finding a cache. Um, and that was just kind of like one of the, I mean, it was just, it was just a shitty area. You can't help where you're deployed to. I mean, guys can go on deployment and not find anything. That don't mean it's not a successful deployment. We just happened to be in a very bad area that had a lot of uh, caches and IEDs and, and uh, insurgents in there. And uh, we, were, we were fortunate enough to be able to use our dogs to help mitigate some of those. Um, so it was a, it was a, I mean, I was balls out like in the first like, you know, 30 days of a, uh, our clearing operation it's a hell of a first find yeah, <laughs> fucking yeah. 30 pound IED with you're making believers out of dudes no kidding absolutely yeah. Yeah. from that point on they didn't want to go outside the wire without us i mean they, they loved having the dogs up there and i mean i don't think they still probably don't know mine or Corey's name but they knew our dogs names <laughs> yeah, yeah right so when uh when i worked for cobra uh, i had i was i had team one assigned to me and i had two two dogs for two different platoons each platoon had two had their own EOD guy. Each EOD guy liked to do things a little bit differently. So when we were doing the workups, we we came up with SOPs for this guy, the way he wanted to do it, and for this guy. So you go to five different units, their own EOD squads. How'd you get along with those guys? They had to be kind of unfamiliar, I would assume, with the way dogs work or or the actual real capabilities or were they experienced? It was you got a mixed bag. Uh sometimes that already had previous experience and that helped out. Sometimes they had previous bad experience and that didn't help out. You know, if they've, it all depends yeah. on who came and laid the foundation before you. So, um, which I was always up for the challenge. Like I, I was confident in my capabilities and just, you know, give me a chance and I'll make you a believer. And you just got to go in with that mindset that, that not everybody understands how dogs work and, um, and, and, or they could have had, like I said, they could have had a bad experience from a previous deployment and, and you're walking into that. So uh, I was just more of a, you know, kind of proofs in the pudding, like, let me just, let me show it all about. And, and I think going those little extra steps too went a long way. Um, like when Luca got tired and it was, you know, she, it was too dangerous to keep pushing her because now I know she's not a capability, she's a liability. I would put her in a Humvee and let one of the guys watch her and I still go clear houses with it. It was like just, we would pull up, we would take over a compound during the heat of the day. Uh, instead of just chilling out, I'd help pull security for some of the young dudes. Like, I think those little things, like you got to fully embed yourself. And sometimes you'll see guys that would use, and not necessarily Marines, but you'd see people use canine as an excuse not to do something. Uh, in oh yeah. Situations. No, and in law enforcement. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, believe me, Eric and I both have seen that. <laughs> yeah, the weird thing with you guys, and this is this is um, it's human nature to. So you're talking about taking 50 meters at a time, right? And everybody's assholes puckered because we're pretty early on here. We're in Iraq. Yeah. You're finding some crazy shit, but it's human nature to hurry up. Okay, let's, yeah. let's we can move faster than this. Did you have to every once in a while step back and go, just chill out? Or was it everybody on the right page? I felt like everybody was on the same, we're all on the same page. I mean, it was, um, now when you're going and hitting a target, it's, that's a whole different thing. When right. you go hit a house, it was a whole different thing. But when we're clearing a route, just knowing the dangers that are that are inherent with route clearing operations, like we were, we were very safe about it. I, I had one incident where I was, um, like I said, I would bounce around between different platoons and I'd come from, clearing some compounds and they're like, Hey, we're getting ready to do some more route clearing. Is your dog good? I said, yeah, we're, we're good for a couple bounds. And I joined back up with the, the route clearance platoon. And, um, as we're starting now, you got to figure, I just picked up with them and we'd already been moved on down the road a little bit further from when I last worked with them a day before, two days before Corey had been with them. I'd been with them. And so when I start, I get on the left-hand side of the road, adjust my wind and send the dog, uh, 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 the bird dog, the local national, is standing right behind me like we always did, and he starts making this god-awful noise, and it just makes you kind of step forward and, and look back, and uh, there was an IED behind me now, um, and so now I, I was separated from the unit, um, I, and, and I, oh, I wasn't going to come right back over the IED, so I went, got my dog, and went and cleared the small, um, it wasn't much of a compound, more of a shack, and I just cleared it, and and took cover with my dog because the Tigris River, there's a sniper threat on the other side. Um, but it was literally just me and Luca and separated by probably about, you know, 80 meters. And then the units just up the road. And it's, I mean, it's right by the Tigris River. So there's all kind of vegetation. So I can't see much of them, but I can see the front part of the Buffalo and that's about it. What year is this when you're, that you're talking about these first 30 days that you're there? What year is that? Uh, this is 2007 during the surge over there when they had like 30,000 30, extra troops going in. Did so once things start going, you're bouncing around. Did you did you guys have um, uh, units start fighting over you a little bit? Like, hey, no, we need them. No, we need them. <laughs> well, you would go uh, once I left that that particular unit. Uh, you would I went to a it was Operation uh, and it was Martin Avalanche, and that was all just. Uh, like killer capture missions that was all helo insertion missions so like within the particular unit you're in like you would kind of bounce around between platoons whoever's going out which there's only mainly two companies that were rotating in the uh the daily combat operations and we would just support that one company was out there and we rotate between the platoons um and you started getting by name requests for you know for particular dogs and started getting you started kind of making a name for yourself when your your dog's doing some some good things over there, which was another good validating feeling. And, and then when it, it started slowing down, it kind of get more into sustainment ops and um, they're not meeting much resistance. They would, they would plug you out and move you to another unit where it was getting ready to get hot and heavy and you'd start all over again. Um, and that's what that next, that next mission was, was just, it was uh, every second or third day would just be a, a helo insertion mission where you'd, they'd drop you off at like 10 o'clock at night, you go hit a target, a whole different ball game there. And then, pick you up somewhere different at three or four in the morning, bring you back, get a little bit of sleep. 
do rehearsals with the next company's going out or the next platoon or uh, that's going out and get ready to go do it again. And uh, the one thing that kind of one thing that kind of changed for me after that first one is uh, <clears throat> that uh, I had you know Corey Weens and his dog Cooper. Uh, he was also a specialized search dog, and they were working out of uh, Fob Kalsu, and uh, we were at patrol base uh, Murray, uh, and he mm-hmm. was getting ready to go back to Kalsu, and on his last mission with me, uh, him and his dog were killed. <clears throat> oh, man. He had, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was a senior dog handler, and actually, he was, uh, I knew when he was a student when he came through Lackland, like, you know, a little over a year before that, and he was the first guy who made me getting off the plane when I landed in Iraq, and then we got a chance to work together and um, made a good name for ourselves, and it was, uh, you know, July 6th, and he went out, uh, and there was no credible intel on this particular building, and um, I'm making an approach, man, it was a, just a big-ass idea, it killed him and his dog, and a uh, security guy named Salazar, and wounded six others, like, it was a big one, uh, command it, and, um, and so then you're in a spot where you're, <clears throat> you know, carrying, uh, you know, carrying carry Corey off in a uh, on a stretcher uh, to a helicopter. So that, that was tough, man. And I was, at that point, it was just, um, like I said, just me and him, dog handlers, and we lived in a, we had a tent to ourselves when we went back to the patrol base, or back to the actual main fob, fob Falcon. Uh, and in the moment, you just kind of deal with everything. Man, when you go back and you finally get a chance to process what just happened and, and it's all his belongings are sitting in there and it's just me and Luca and, uh, that's, that was tough, man. That's when I, it finally hit me. I kind of, I broke down and, you know, Luca got up and came over and like rested her, like she never does that kind of stuff. She came over and just like rested her head on my leg, just like knowing I was going through a tough time. Um, and them dogs are amazing, man. They save your life in more than one way. Like it hmm. was, that was a tough, uh, that was a tough go, man. Especially when it's, uh, I think loss anytime is difficult. I think, you know, obviously combat is unpredictable and losing friends sucks, but when it's someone that you're close with and you're in charge of them, I just had a different bite, man. That was, that was tough, man. Um, I, I keep in touch with Corey's dad, uh, Mr. Kevin Weens. And uh, a few years ago, uh, he asked if I wanted uh, any yellow labs. Cooper was a yellow lab, you know, Corey's dog. And so he said, uh, he's like, I'm going to raise some labs in honor of my son. Would you want one? I said, absolutely. I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, especially coming from that family. And at this point, Luca was retired and getting up in age. And we literally just started talking about getting a new dog for the house. And then within a week, he called me. So it was just, it all made sense. I was like, absolutely, man. And um, and so, well, we got the dog and he's just over five years old now. Uh, and I named him Murray after that patrol base that me and mm. Corey established. And that's the last place I saw Corey put on that last patrol. And uh, that dog means the world to us. But that was a, I kind of put a different, going forward, I kind of put a different feeling, man. It was, uh, you kind of go from like, hey, let's go do some good stuff to, you want to go just take care of business now. You just want to go and, you know, I was okay going on killer capture missions and doing what you do on targets. It was, it was, uh, it's kind of, it changes you a little bit. So, all the, all the rest of those on that next mission, it was just going out in helos, going out hitting a target, uh, wrapping people up, and then uh, getting next field. And that was 
Yeah, that was, that was a good. That was a good run. But man, you talking about lost like 18 pounds in 30 days. Like, I, I worked Jeez. myself to death. I was going 100 miles an hour. Like I wouldn't turn down a mission and you know take and put more on myself. And it was uh, I don't know. That was that was that was a tough moment. So who was uh, who was Murray? The uh, who's that named after? Uh, I don't. Base. I don't know where they got the initial, the original name from. Patrol Base Murray. Um, I don't. I don't know who that. I don't, I don't know who that came after. Um, it was just significant to me because that was the patrol base we right. set up. So the so did they? You know, the mission's got to continue after Corey uh, is killed. Do they send a new guy and dog over? Yeah. To quote unquote replace him. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And being. You know, it's again talk about human nature. It's human nature to compare, to have expectations. How, what, how was that relationship with the person who came over afterwards? Um, he he was uh, I was very protective. As far as like, I'm I'm not gonna let you go out until I see what I need to see. Like in a, a training setting on the fob. Like, let me see. You in action on on the phone because I know what Corey was capable of. He was very capable, um, but it just kind of changes you. Like, okay, let me let me see your dog in action. Then I had him go out uh, as my spotter and let him see how I ran in operations. Um, and then the day came where I let him go out, and uh, I was going out his spotter, and he, he froze. Like, there was these uh, bamboo sticks. They were laid across the road. Like you couldn't step without stepping on them, but they would run wires through them. And that's all you gotta do is like just step on the wrong bamboo stick and it would connect the wires for IEDs. Well, you couldn't step without stepping on them. You can't, you still gotta do them. You gotta do the, you got a dog, that's what you do. And so we're stepping off to go search a compound uh, and he froze. And I was like, I was like, man, we gotta go. And they're like, can I step out? I'm like, dude, we got we gotta go. He's like, man, I don't I don't know where to step. I was like, we got that's what we got the dog for. You got the capability, we got the win, like just step it out. I'll, I'll guide you through this. Uh and he wouldn't move, like he froze up. Um and, and I I just got in front and just said, follow me. We walked to the objective, nothing happened, and I never let him go out again. Um, I think the part that bothered me. If if combat's not your thing, if not if being in walking points not your thing, like I don't I don't hold that against anybody. I mean that's that's not normal to be out you know in front of a patrol and all that stuff. But uh, don't talk like you're a badass. And then when it's game time, like you 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 can't perform. Like that's that's what I got a problem with. Don't talk all the talk. And then when it's game time, like to go do a pretty basic patrol, like you can't do it. So especially after I know what Corey is doing. That's kind of, that was my mindset. Now I don't give a shit, but that, at that time, like that was my mindset. Like Corey was out there crushing it for me. Corey was setting the tone, setting a great standard for K-9. And then I got someone coming in talking about how they're going to do this and that. And then pretty basic operation and you know, froze up on me. So, uh, I mean, that's how you get people killed. I was like, you got to trust your capabilities. You got to be confident in what you're doing out there. You got to, you can't be, taking a step every 30 seconds. Like you've got to go, these guys gonna do this mission with or without you. You got a capability. Um, so it's not for everybody. So he, I never sent him back out again. Yeah, it's tough, man. That's, uh, what's that? Everybody wants to be a gangster until it's time to do gangster shit. Gangster shit. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's the same. I mean, it's, it's a broad stroke, but it's a pretty same thing. It's just like in law enforcement where when you're interviewing for your job, 
they'll ask you, do you think you could use deadly force, blah, blah, blah. And everybody says yes. Yeah. And in my time in my department, there were a lot of dudes who froze, yeah. uh, who didn't, who should have got lucky. They're lucky they didn't get killed. Um, we have, I have one guy that I knew I thought was a pretty shit hot cop, man. He probably should have shot five people. He did zero and couldn't do it. Just wasn't in him. Yeah. So, and granted that's not Iraq and that's a whole different ordeal, but still, um, so yeah, free, freezing up. It, it, you think you can do it till the shit, till it's there. And then you'll Absolutely. know if you can do it or not. So yeah. right, we're going to go ahead and take our first break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about, uh, Luca and, um, how the rest of her deployment went and how she unfortunately became one of the most famous dogs that has ever worked for the U S military, basically. So we'll be right back. We have a longstanding relationship with the guys over at hits canine training conference. Uh, it's truly America's premier canine seminar. It is the largest. It is the best. Um, they cover every important topic in the canine industry, Hundreds and hundreds of vendors, thousands of canine people there. Everybody you know in this industry is there. Ted and I will be teaching. Hits 2022 is being held in Orlando, Florida, August 16th to the 19th. Also, check out their website, hitscanine.net. They have other classes that they're putting out online. Uh, Zoom classes and all kinds of other things. They're offering in-person classes leading up to Hits 2022, Orlando, Florida, August 16th to the 19th. Check it out, hitscanine.net. Everyone knows me, knows that I live on chicken nuggets and Coors Light. So uh, that doesn't mean your dog should, though. Um, our friends at Kinetic um, are, make it a, a point to fuel working dogs, and they know that it can be tough, and they need high-quality food, unlike me, to give them energy and the nutrients that they require. I just subsist on air and you know Coors Light, which, but the dogs can't. They actually have to work. So for that, we asked Kinetic, and Kinetic has come up with a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working in sport dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available, and they've been working to perfect their line for thousands of dogs and hundreds of departments across the U.S. You can buy it locally online or at Tractor Supply, or you can get it at Chewy. So head over to their website, kineticdogfood.com, 513-615-6904. And get them on the socials at Kinetic Dog Food. So probably the number one product I've ever advertised for or used that set that does what they say is Quick Derm by Vet Care. Uh, I have it uh, at my house. I have it at the kennel. I have it at the Fun House. I have it at the uh, Doggy Daycare. I have my trainers have it at their house. It is unbelievable how it works. You guys have all heard Ted and I talk about it, how we've gotten tagged by dogs or dogs do, you know, if you're dealing with working dogs, weird stuff happens, right? Cuts that, how the hell that happened? Bites, scratches, all kinds of things that happen, especially if you're doing anything in the wooded area, they get tore up. Uh, the quick derm by vet care. It is no exaggeration. It is great. So once daily treatment for any skin condition or small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones. Comes in sprays, ointments, or dressing. Quick Derm is great at creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing. The best thing, too, is they have a discount code. Get on their website, vetcare.us. That's vetcare.us. Put in the discount code 10WDR in capital letters, 10WDR for 10% off your first order. These next guys uh, have actually been on the show when we instructed at. Uh, 
the first uh, tripwire conference down in Florida, uh, Jim O'Brien was a guest on the show. Uh, and he runs NCK9, who has now come onto the show as a sponsor. Um, Jim's been around for quite a long time, about 13-ish years, uh, with experience handling and training law enforcement canines. Um, he uses real-world deployments to develop training program and not rely only on their experience, but current experiences from most of their national canine teams and handlers to provide the best canine partner that you guys can, can purchase. They provide pet training and police canine services based out of Four Oaks, North Carolina, and they serve the surrounding areas. Feel free to give Jim a call, a text, carrier pigeon, however you want to get a hold of him uh, to, to talk to him about police canine training or pets and techniques and methodologies. So hit him up at 919-438-0141 or J O'Brien. That's J-O-B-R-I-E-N at N-C, letter K number nine dot U-S. Check the show notes. We'll put it there. All right, everybody, we're back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting The Bite uh, with Chris Willingham. We're um, talking some pretty heavy shit from uh, the surge around that time, handling dogs over there. So you're out there with Luca. Um, I think I read you did like 400 missions with that dog or something. Yes, sir. Well, she did 400 of them, and I did most of them with her. She had a second handling. So mm. uh, Luca and I did uh, two diplomas to Iraq, and then when it came time, uh, for Luca to go to another handler, I was in a fortunate enough position to be able to select, select the handler to take over for her. Um, so I was at Camp Pendleton, California, and to, uh, to kind of backtrack just a little bit, in 2010, I was able to take uh, $30 teams from uh, Camp Pendleton, Afghanistan. It was the largest group of dog wow. teams from one uh, one platoon since Vietnam. Like, it was a... Uh, just a great group of Marines. Like I think the average age was like 21 years old. Just a, they were hungry. I mean, they fire were, breathers. Yeah. Yeah. They were just, they were hungry, man. They, they went over there young fellows and came back grown men. Like they were, it was a, that was probably the, the, you know, as you come up through the Marine Corps, like the higher rank you get, it becomes less and less about you and more and more about your Marines. Um, that was like a, a switching point in my career where it stopped being about me and started being about them and just, I couldn't, I couldn't say enough about the, the, men, the men I served with on that deployment. Uh, but one of them was Juan Rodriguez. Uh, he had a, a, a dual purpose dog at the time and spent most of his time with recon, uh, performed incredible in combat. And we get back from that deployment and uh, uh, he, was, he was my number one choice to take over for Luca and be her primary handler going forward. So he went to SSD school, specialized search dog school to get the capability. And then him and Luca paired up and, um, and they, I mean, they made a great team. I mean, Juan had the same mindset. He was a great in the training environment, great in combat. And uh, at this point, I'd been in that platoon for four years, and, which is pretty long for, for Marines not moving. And uh, I needed a little break from deployment. So in the Marine Corps, you do be billets. You can be your main three or you know, drill instructor, recruiter, or embassy duty, and I volunteered for embassy duty. So I went over to Helsinki, Finland, and I was in charge of the internal security for the, the U.S. Embassy over there. So the week that I went to uh, Finland, my old platoon went back to Afghanistan, which included Juan and Luca. And uh, I mean, they, they, did a, they did a great job over there. And uh, he had multiple fives with her, and he was with the seventh group. And uh, on March 23rd, uh, 2012, they left the tree line going towards a compound and Luca's out front and she located an IED. And uh, 
you know, where there's one, the idea is like, where there's one, there's two, where there's two, there's three. There's my known threat, like where are my unknown threats now? So you can't just get locked in on, on what you just found. You know, you mark that one and start looking for secondaries, whether it is an ambush, whether secondary IEDs, like just everybody can't focus on the one known threat. So Lucas starts looking for secondaries and unfortunately one detonated. And that was um, a rather, rather small one, but it was enough to take off her front left uh, paw and cause some pretty good damage to her um, left leg. And and one to his credit, I mean his your marine. I mean that's your that's a marine. That's not a dog. That's your you know that's one of your fellow marines. His training kicks in, uh, and he runs up and uh, helps stop the bleeding, and then picks her up and runs her back to that tree line. Uh, and then the medic on the team helped him uh, uh, get the secure stop the bleeding and got a medevac within ten minutes and uh, got the dog and one out of there. She was off leash and nobody else was injured. I think the most important thing, like, you know, they went to, they stopped by at Leatherneck, but at that point, there was nothing they could do there. Like, she's, she's wrapped up, she's stable. Like, uh, all, they saved her life on the battlefield. One's quick action saved her life. Um, and then they uh, ended up doing the surgery in Afghanistan. And they, because of the amount of damage, they decided to move the, remove the whole front left leg. Um, they could have just taken it. A little bit lower, they said that just for stability reasons and some of the damage was a little bit higher, um, that it was going to be better for her just to go ahead and remove it. Plus, there was no damage up in this joint area, so they could make the cut exactly like they wanted to and just remove the whole thing. So that's what they did. And um, I mean, she was walking in 10 days. She didn't have any permanent ear or eye damage. And the biggest thing for me is she had the same spirit that she had beforehand. So I, whether it's a, a, a you know troop or a a dog, like people go through traumatic experiences and come out different. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen dogs that, you know, it went through a lot less and suffered a lot more. And for her to have that kind of injury, but still be Luca, still like be the same dog who could jump on her back and do the funky chicken and <laughs> be goofy and have the same spirit, like that meant the world to me uh, that just to see it was the same dog. Um, and so, yeah, she recovered well, man. Talking about resilience uh, of her and, you know, to kind of her character, I mean, she was. It was, it was that was pretty incredible. Um, and then you know, Juan and I talked. I was in I was sending care packages from Finland to my embassy, so I talked to those guys all the time. And uh, one of my buddies texted me and said, uh, "Hey, you might you need to call." Like there was, he gave me enough. He did a good job. He gave me enough information. Know me that it was a uh, that Luca was injured, but everybody's gonna be okay. Like. But it's like if your son's in a car crash, like you can't have enough details. Like I want to know everything. Like I, yeah, and you're I, in Finland. Just, like you know, you just yeah. told me some pretty traumatic stuff. You gave me enough information enough to know they're they're going to live. But I mean, everything's rushing through your head. So I was able to talk to to Juan just a few hours afterwards. Um. Uh, and that was a. I mean, I I love Luca, but my focus is on him. I can't imagine what he was going through. I mean, he. Uh, he felt bad. He felt like he let me down all this shit. I was like, bro, I don't, that's the furthest thing from mind, man. You did what you're supposed to do. You find one, you got to look for a secondary. It's like, he, one did his job. One saved her life. Like, you know, I, and I was just wanted to reassure him that. And, um, after like 10 minutes, we we shifted our focus towards Luca and, um, and just, you know, try to keep it light. Like I know she's going to be fine. I mean, she's a Alabama fan. She rolled tight. She'll be fine. She'll, she was tough. Like, <laughs> so she's, uh, so she was a uh, medevac, and by the time we got to Camp Pendleton, we stopped by Lackland for a few days, and they again they said like, man, she's in full recovery mode now. Like she went back to Camp Pendleton, and um, 
and you got to figure how fast this is. You know, March uh, 23rd, she's injured. And then uh, July 6th, that same date that Corey was killed, that was uh, the date that Luke and I reunited in Finland. Um, you know, we're talking about 2007 and 2012 now, but it's 2000, you know, just a few months later, uh, Luca's fine enough to, you know, be adopted out. So me and Juan had that conversation of like, uh, his, his mindset ahead of that was, hey, man, I'm going to take on this deployment. At that point, she's going to be close to nine years old. She's not going to be ready for another deployment. So we're going to dump the dog out. She's your dog. Um, and that was a general understanding. However, that changes things. When you go through something like that, that changes things. So I was like, hey, man, like, let's, let's talk about it. You know, this, uh, you were looking through some shit too, man. Like, and Juan was like, absolutely. That, that's your dog, bro. Like, you're, I'm, I'm bringing your dog back to you. Um, and so it was, I mean, that meant the world to me. And so you got to have an escort for the dog. So, of course, the number one choice is one. Uh, so they left from Camp Pendleton. They, they flew in first class. My, uh, my ambassador got involved and helped us make that happen and uh, flew them uh, out of gate K-9 out of Chicago Hare. And <laughs> they landed in Finland and uh, they said, hey, uh, the, the, she's getting off the plane and these nerves hit me because they had, they shut down the whole wing of an airport, man. It was wild. Like just, and they only let Luca and Rodriguez off and they unloaded everybody else at another terminal. Um, and so they had like some local media there and then uh, the ambassador and my family. And he's walking down this long uh, corridor. And uh, for, for a minute, I was like, that's going to be embarrassing. She don't remember me. Like this goes, yeah. <laughs> like, this goes running oh, past man. me and runs up to a cameraman or some shit. And, uh, <laughs> I know that's not how it works. I've only been separated from her like, you know, six, eight months, whatever. Uh, and I turned the corner and I just, you know, called her name and uh, she's not a dog who licks very much. Then she came up with her one leg, jumped up on me, started licking my face and uh, very special moment. You know, you're in Luca's good yeah. graces when you get a, you know, get that kind of a reaction from her. And, you know, I stand up and give Rodriguez a hug and he stayed with us for the next two weeks and Luca slept in his room and I think it was a good transition for Luca, but it gave me a chance to personally thank Juan for, for saving Luca's life and everything he did for her. So it was a, and then we, she lived for another, you know, six years in retirement and me and Juan were together uh, a couple times a year. And every time we see each other, it was like joint custody. Like, here's your dog, like, mm-hmm. take the leash. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I love Juan. He's, that's my dude. That's, he sounds like a dude, man. Like, yeah. wow, that's a good guy. Yeah. He's phenomenal. I can't, you can't, he's top notch, man. You can't beat someone like that. He's, I just saw him uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we got together again, and we're gonna have a big Marine K9 reunion in November, and I'll see him again. Like he just, I, he's my brother for life for multiple reasons. So Finland, Finland is vodka. What is that? What they're known yeah, for? What yeah, they? yeah, they got a yeah. yeah, they got yeah. Uh, they invented the sauna, and uh, and then you gotta deal with a uh, long dark winter, so they got Finlandia vodka up there. Yeah, Finn, uh, vodka and women, I think, is what their thing is. <laughs> That's Norway. Long, but, <laughs> I don't know. Long or Sweden. Down. I don't fucking know. It's one of those countries. Uh, so land in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is 2000. Where are we at? 2012. 2012. That's when we were reunited. Um, so before we like take a break for a little bit, um, at this point, so I got to backtrack a little bit. So around 2005 is when, um, uh, Marsoc was allowed, well, not allowed, but when the Marines kind of like stood up, or well, when they announced it, it was in November, 2005, if I remember correct. Um, so, um, you get done with your, 
um, ambassador or with your, I'm um, sorry, with your uh, embassy. A- embassy duty. And so how did the assignment to that unit come up? So I ended up going back to uh, one MEF uh, K-9 platoon back out at Camp Pendleton. Well, I spent those four years and deployed a few times. Like I went back there uh, um, and that's where I met uh, Dustin Wynn and, and the guys from Marsoc and uh, started, we started doing a lot of joint training together for my guys at uh, Camp Pendleton um, and straight, you know, created a good relationship. But I'd, I'd had a, I'd made a pretty good name for myself at that time, just being in K-9 and, uh, you know, just a invitation like, hey man, why don't you come over here to, to help run this program next when you leave here? And I was like, yeah, I, I can't see any better way going out uh, of the Marine Corps because I knew I was going to retire at 20 because um, there was nothing better than that. So I, I, uh, I went over and, and, and took over the program and just worked with some absolute warriors, man. Just some great dudes, like from the trainers on down to the handlers, like just some guys that'll, that'll humble you. Just, uh, and they're, they're hardworking. They're guys that don't need much instruction. The guys that'll come in and do the right thing all the time because they know that if they don't do it, it's not going to get done. And uh, just the tone they set, they understand that a, a bad reputation is going to beat you to the team. So they took a lot of pride in their performance on and off duty and their physical fitness, the canine training, the resources they had available, like, uh, just top-notch organization. I was very blessed to, to work with those guys. Yeah, about 2015 or 16, um, I was out in Gettysburg at Tripwire, and I ran into the a group of those guys with their trainer, uh, the big guy. Yep, yeah. <laughs> Everybody yeah. knows who well, – yeah, Big Pat. Big Everybody Pat, knows yeah. – yeah, and, and he's aptly named. He's the size of this door. Correct. Uh, but, yeah, no, and I, it was the same thing. Everything you said about those guys is absolutely true. Like, them dudes were there to fucking work. <laughs> like, they were working, like, working, working. And, you know, we went out to dinner one night, and I was like, where's everybody else? Pat was like, they're sleeping. They're going to get up early at fucking 4 a.m. and go to work. I'm like, eh, okay, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to let them work for a little bit, and I'll get up. A little bit after, but no, yeah, that was, uh, no, those dudes, they were, it was, a, it was an interesting to, um, cause I was just kind of coming through and I was seeing Ryan and the guys from Tripwire. Yep. Um, and, uh, but you know, we hung out with those guys for a couple of days. Um, but yeah, it was, um, they were top notch for hundred for, for sure. Those dudes were squared away professional. Like everyone talks shit about Marines, like, Oh, they're crayon eaters and whatever else. And I tell you what, them fucking Marsoc handlers, were squared away dudes yeah. or something sure. in those crayons and if and i yeah they they're they were caffeine they were, yeah no they were they were fucking squared because we had a bunch of law enforcement guys there at the same time um from the dc area so um and it was kind of interesting to see the difference in how special operations guys handle dogs versus how yeah. a single purpose law enforcement guy i know i mean even though you're looking for theoretically the same odor i mean it was very interesting to watch and because i didn't realize who they were at first because they weren't wearing like they were yeah. they were dressed and norm was like who the fuck are these guys and <laughs> and ryan told me he was like well ryan and josh josh was like ah it's the fucking special kids from the marines i'm like well aren't they all special he was like no no like the super special I was like, oh oh those guys okay i was like oh shit and they were all good kids man for sure so um it felt like at that point, before even before I checked in, like uh, I, I knew a lot of the guys. Like we trained together, and some of them I'd worked with before they went over to Marsoc. And um, 
and it was it was a level of expectation at this point for going into that job and for for what I've done in the past. But I, I've never looked like like that. I've always like, you know, what's next? Like, you know, kind of stay humble but hungry. And I was nervous checking in. I was like, man, I don't. I just don't want to let these dudes down, man. Like, there's a certain level of expectations of what they, you know, the way they operate and what they need and how I can support them, how I can best work with them. And uh, man, we we crushed it. It was it was a lot of fun, man. We we had a good we had a good run at it. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit to Luca. You get Luca back in Finland at some point and kind of talk about the little iteration where you probably probably got real comfortable or used to it after a while, but in the, you guys became a little famous and started making some TV tours and things like that. And that's out of your element. Uh, how, how did all that come about? That it, um, it started with, uh, I guess the big thing was the, uh, the, the PDSA Dickin Medal. Um, it's the it's like the most prestigious award that an animal can receive, a service animal can receive, and it's over based over in England. It was established in 1943, and at that time there had only been like 66 recipients since 1943. Wow. It's a it's a very strenuous like vetting process, and it's not something that you do like from like I wouldn't do it from my level. Like it was a general who um, was stationed in England who knew about this award and was the kind of liaison and then it went to the Pentagon uh, and then it kind of asked the program chiefs for the different canine programs and then Luca's name came up. So it kind of came from top down her recommendation. I just had to provide uh, like statements and you know, all the, the data from my end and then they interviewed people and it was about a year process, man, from the time really? I first heard about it till we actually uh, went to England to receive this, uh, the PDSA Dickin medal. So they, uh, we flew over in April, 2016, and it was, uh, in Wellington barracks, just outside of Buckingham palace. And it was, uh, and Luca became the first U S military working dollar to receive it. But it, that was wild, man. It was, uh, I went over and part of a joint, like a NATO counter IED conference. Um, so I was doing that on the, for the most part, and then, I, and then I would do interviews in the afternoon. Then we had the big day where actually she received the award. Um, that was that was incredible. I mean, that thing went to over 200 countries, close to a billion people. Um, it, I don't think it hit me what I was getting into um, when I went over there. I didn't understand the gravity of that award and like how much it really meant and uh, how big it was going to be. Um, it, it was something special. And I what what I, what keeps me you know, what was exciting about it is I know that it, something like that is much bigger than one dog. It's much bigger than Luca. Like it's just a it's a it's a she's a catalyst for a bigger platform. To just kind of talk about what military working dogs do for our country, what they do for our nation when they deploy, and how many lives they save. And it goes back to my respect for all the the Vietnam dog handlers. So it was just I, I really started enjoying those opportunities to be able to talk about what our, our dogs do for us. And Luca just had a great story. She was an incredible ambassador to the, to the military working dog program. You know, what the funny thing is, man, you see a dog. So you get a dog like Luca, she gets, she loses that leg and very quickly learns how to walk on three legs. I know yep. fucking dudes that had haircuts. that are like just thrown off for months. It was just weird. <laughs> Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely yeah no and we've interviewed uh trent uh ranger 
who handled Leica. Uh, so yep. Leica and Luca, right? So Leica's the other three-legged one. Yep. And she's, he said the same thing, man. Like she popped up. Uh, I talked to him today, actually. And he still got her. Um, and she's fucking hopping around Florida. And, you know, but it was a similar thing. And, she, you know, she did the whole deal with uh, on the West Coast and she's doing the Channing Tatum thing and some other stuff. But, I mean, it was an interesting, it's interesting to watch. And everybody knows Alicia had that three-legged, uh, had CJ, the three-legged dog, and we had her leg amputated. It was the same thing. <laughs> she yeah. popped up in recovery and was yeah. hopping around on three legs. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, and so when they said they're going to take it because they could cut it off where it was up high, and they're like, yep. all right, well, and everyone's like, no, no, they can't walk. They, I'm like, no, <laughs> believe me, they can. Better so, than we are at this show. Yeah, they didn't, yeah. it didn't take long for her to have the same strength as before. Like, she, we just got her a harness instead of the collar, and she was off to the races, man. Yeah. Of course. All right, we're going to go ahead and take our second break. We come back. We're going to talk about uh, the U.S. Um, United States Working Dog Association and kind of uh, where we're headed with all that. So we'll be right back. All right, guys, this episode has been brought to you by great sponsors of ours. Please don't skip through this. Take a listen to them. One of our oldest sponsors and great friends of ours are the people down at Highland Canine down in North Carolina. Um, I really like them. We have, we see them at all the conferences. I know a lot of people have been to their school for dog trainers. They've been on the podcast Highland canine. They're a full service canine and pet dog training business where they can train you to be a trainer. They can get you a dog. They have handler classes. They have supervisor classes. They have trainers courses for just LE. They have them for anybody who wants to be in, uh, in the dog business, be a dog trainer of any kind. Um, Check them out. Their website is tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. If you are smart, you'll go down there in the winter. It is North Carolina. It is warm. You get to work dogs. It's a no-joke school, guys. You're not going down there for a month um, and, and rushing through it. They're actually trying to make you real deal dog trainers. Uh, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Next is a sponsor that's been with us for quite a while, uh, Dog Tra. I love Dog Tra stuff, and they continually keep bringing out new products. Uh, one of the things that I've been using a lot lately is the new Tone Box. If you're a pet trainer or if you train a lot of police officers, and I harp on my guys all the time about timing, and this thing literally kind of pairs to the, to the remote, and when you're using the remote, whether you're using Nick constant, or Vibrate, it makes a noise. So you can get the timing down 100% consistent. And so I can demonstrate how to do an out with an e-caller immediately, quickly. And it is so effective that I can't believe that it took me forever to figure it out <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to get that. They've also got these new um, comfort feather, like titanium things that go on the collars that uh, are fantastic for making sure we got contact. It actually has six points and this comes in two sizes and it's a titanium feather thing. They're awesome. They got comfort, comfort contact points for the bark collars, the YS 600. One of my favorite things. I have about 50 of them at the kennel and it is dead silent. And I put them on all the pet dogs and I can leave them on because they have the comfort contact points and they're fantastic. All this stuff you can get at dogtr.com. And if you use the discount code WDR, one zero you get 10 percent off a single item over 200 bucks so that covers the ball trainer that covers the 1900 ask hands free which is my personal favorite for all the big dogs uh it covers the two dog system uh the 202c which i use for the two dog pet guys and fantastic so doctor.com or go to at doctor official on all the socials that's facebook instagram all those places so hit them up doctor.com guys i don't even shop any other sites when i'm looking for everything for dogs 
our one-stop shop for anything pet dog training and police dog training, hunt dog training, anything you need, you can find at rayallen.com. They have been doing it forever. We have a great relationship with them. Um, again, they're at all the conferences. You can stop up and talk to them. They have more stuff there than any place. RayAllen.com. They are amazing. We have a great, uh, really, really good relationship with those guys. Um, like I said, I get on their website. I do not look anywhere else. I just get on Ray Allen. Why, why should I fill up my cart, pay it? Boom. Shipping. Here we go. Uh, everything's coming. RayAllen.com. And guess what? We do have a discount code for them. Working dog radio for 10% off. It's all one working dog radio and it's all caps. Check them out. RayAllen.com. I'm not too shaped to admit that I used our own discount code to buy stuff for the kennel. We have American Aluminum next. They're a new sponsor for uh, moving forward. Um, they have been around for quite a while. They manufacture a wide variety of products from the high quality cam lockers and toolboxes to a huge line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law enforcement community. Back in 1992, due to the demand for safe, secure transport for a nearby law enforcement department's canine, they introduced the very first Easy Rider canine. They have continuously grown and expanded products, catering to the needs and wants of the valued customers and a high-profile clientele. Over the years, as the needs have changed, they have evolved and expanded their products to include inmate transport systems, canine training aids, canine inserts, contraband, containment, and animal control systems, just to name a couple of things. So you can find them at easyrideronline.com. That is easy echo Zulu rider online.com. You can find them on the socials at American Aluminum Accessories, and then you can hit them up toll free. 1-800-277-0869. You don't have to worry about writing all that down. We're going to put it in the show notes. So just scroll down to the bottom, write it down, click the link, takes you straight there out into your phone. Our first sponsor we ever had, he's been, he's our ride or die. He's been with us since the beginning is Arno over at ALM Canine Equipment. His stuff is so good. Ted, you know, gets suits. He, and listen, Ted's suit, he's had it for a long time. Arno's fixed it. He's uh, taken a million bites on it. It still holds up. The thing's amazing. I've got a suit from him. I love it. Use it all the time. Uh, but the main thing that I really love about Arno is his hidden sleeves are ridiculously amazing. They are the best. And his tugs. I usually buy tugs from Arno by the box load. He'll send me a whole bunch of them. I hand them out to the handlers, new handlers when they come in, experienced handlers. Uh, they last for a long time. They're amazing. The craft work is is great. Arno's doing all the, the sewing there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom-made suits, everything you need um, out there. And he's out there in sunny Las Vegas. Get on his website, check him out. AlmK9equipment.com. AlmK9equipment.com. Discount code WD Radio, all caps, 10% off your first order. Check him out. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Hopefully you did not skip through the commercials. I know you did though, because yeah. I do. So go to the bottom, <laughs> scroll down and read our show notes and get all the discount codes. Yeah. Check out, support our sponsors. We had great people in there. If you're an officer looking for a kennel, we get a couple kennels in there uh, all over the place uh, in the country. You can, we can get you a dog. You go take a look, kennels, vet care stuff, everything. Go, go check out our sponsors. So we're with Chris Willingham. Um, who was I think you were on Fox News and everybody with uh with all that stuff that had to have been uh a little crazy but uh so we talked um 
with Ron in the last episode, you guys heard about the United States, uh, is it War Dog Association? War Dog Association, yes. War Dog Association. He was the president from the onset. Um, you now have taken over the reins. How did you get involved? How did you hear about them? So I was, uh, I've known Ron for probably about 15 years now. And uh, it started off just being on the receiving end of, of care packages from the U.S. War Dogs Association and um, exchanged emails. And, and I, I knew him for years over email before I actually met him. And, uh, but yeah, it started just being a benefactor of the, you know, the generous support from the U.S. War Dog Association and kind of went from there. What were they sending you, particularly in your gift bags? Man, he, he would usually send some of the best ones. Uh, it was more practical gear that you would need from, I mean, everybody, you can't have enough baby wipes overseas. And, <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, it was, it was uh, the best part was uh, no dog treats. Uh, I never got any dog treats from him, which was nice because yeah. you usually have about a connex full of dog treats. You can't feed your dogs because they're on a limited diet. Yeah. Uh, but he gave us uh, one of the biggest things I would say is we were getting ready to go uh, to Afghanistan and we didn't have the best tracking harnesses. Um, like they were pretty shit and they were falling apart. And to go through your supply sometimes is very difficult and trying mm -hmm. to convince a non canine officer the importance of having a good tracking lead or a good tracking harness. Um, so I reached out to Ron and he provided me four high quality tracking harnesses right before we went to Afghanistan. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Sometimes the lowest bidder is not the best. Uh, you know, when, when, <laughs> places are trying to you know stock up on stuff without even asking correct um, well this looks good yeah this thing here yeah this was made in china and falls apart within a week yeah he, so. he took care of it. he took like specialized like requests like whatever you needed like it was from cones to uh you know to the harnesses to leads like whatever you needed like he was he wanted to make sure you had the tools necessary to do your job so it was it was always really good care packages so Ron was telling us about a couple of uh, memorials that have been built. Uh, I think one in New Jersey and the other one um, out at uh, Arlington. You want to talk about those for us? Yeah, it all started with the one in New Jersey. I mean, you got this, you know, reunions are, are a little more commonplace these days. But back then, and the, like even in the 90s, there still wasn't a whole lot of like Vietnam reunions. And, and it was in the 90s when they started having a couple of them and, uh it was five Vietnam dog handlers, including Ron, who met at a reunion. They didn't serve together and they represented three branches of service, but they had that common bond of canine that kind of brought them together. And they started talking about like what they wanted to, you know, a vision of like to more, again, this is a 90s, so it's before 9-11. What can we do to honor, uh, you know, the military working dogs of past, the war dogs of past? And so they came with this idea of that, uh, the monument, it's up in uh, Northern Jersey. And they took like, it took like six years to, to raise the money for it. Um, and they were doing like grassroots stuff, going to, you know, local shows and setting up booths and um, just collecting a little bit of money here and there. And, and then, they, and then when they started, it was in 2000. And then obviously you got 9-11, you started deploying dog teams. So they started sending care packages. And it was kind of like, uh, you know, the, the initial mission, what they set out for was to dedicate this monument. Uh, which represented the war dogs. 
well, now, now you got dog teams in Iraq and Afghanistan. You're sending care packages, and I'm like, man, we got something special here. We can't, you know, we can't just roll up the flags now. Let's let's see what we can do here. Um, and that kind of that's where the program has grown over the last 14 years, and it's you know just been that you know practical support for military dogs. But the the one down in Arlington was pretty special because it recognized uh, female dog handlers in service. Um, we had the chance to go down and and be part of that and. We got one female dog handler from each branch of service to come down and represent with her dog and her dress uniform. And uh, Ron got up there and gave a great speech about it and, and kind of what inspired him to uh, to even go that route, which was I thought was pretty incredible. So um, yes, it's kind of it's special when you can, uh, you know, it's just one of the mission sets is to develop those, you know, work with people and developing the memorials just to make sure we're you know kind of honoring the past and honoring the present of, of dog handlers. Yeah, uh, we got uh, Ted and I both looked up and saw the pictures of the um, the pledge. I believe is the name yeah. of the yeah, sure. the memorial. That thing, man, is so we. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Susan Bahari did that sculptor. I guess a it's it's absolutely incredible. Is it uh, is it uh, like life size or bigger? Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. life size. Yeah, those are and always I, super impressive, man. Yeah, I, I love it too because it. Um, it like really shows the connection between the dog and the handler. You know, you got the handler on the knee and the dog right there looking at him. I guess it's a, they, they did a good job of capturing. And Susan worked great with Ron. And they asked me a few questions about like, hey, if the dog's going to be off leash, like, where would your leash be? And I explained like, well, if I got gear on. I'm not usually going to wrap it around my shoulders. You just took it in your cargo pocket. So you'll see the leash like hanging halfway out of the cargo pocket to show it's there. So they, they really paid attention to detail about what a dog handler would would be in that situation, like where your kit would be, where your gear, like how you'd be set up. Like, so it was, it was pretty special. Yeah. So I haven't, <clears throat> excuse me. I haven't been to Arlington in seven years, I think something like that. And, uh, you know, they, for those of you who don't know there, they have, uh, sections, like they have a lot of sections that are on, on that. Do they have anything yet or they've done anything with working dogs in there? Uh, there's, they're all in the, uh, I mean, as you know, it's like usually based off dates. So all of our uh, dog handlers who were killed are all in the in the same section. Um, but outside of that, that uh, the the National Women's Museum is just right there at the entrance of Arlington. Um, but inside the inside Arlington, not that I know of. But I just know that all the all the ones with all the dog handlers we lost are all in the same section there. So if if based off of this, if somebody's there and they want to go, you know, pay their respects to your friend Corey. Um, he's, he, they got him into Arlington. Uh, no, he's, he's buried out in Oregon oh, they, they, family. Like, they, and they actually, he, what was unique about him is, um, you know, cause the family's kind of late what they want to do, but they, they, um, Corey's, uh, granddad was a dog handler in Korea. What? Um, and so now you got Corey who carried on that legacy. He was a dog handler. And, uh, when, when, uh, Corey and Cooper both killed, they actually, uh, buried them together oh wow yeah, oh. so they're out in uh dallas oregon all right those are u.s coast people make your ass up to dallas oregon go pay some respects man honor some folks up there so um the the organization united states war dogs where are we headed what are we what are we maintaining what are we doing so they, when they started the you know like i said 20 years ago um Every, every uh, program they developed came out of a uh, conversation from a dog handler, which I love about it. 
And another thing is to be on a board member, you have to have been a you know a dog handler. So you're talking about a true organization that's kind of for the dog handlers, by the dog handlers. Like so, everything that's been developed over the last 14 years was because it was just a, a need that needed to be met within the canine community, military working dog community. And so, just kind of give you a real quick rundown of the the lifetime of practical support is, you know, while you're in the service, we'll send care packages. And we've updated like our uh, care package list. We've updated like if you need special equipment, we're gonna you know, uh, be able to assist and help that out. We're getting ready to fill one of those. When a dog gets ready to retire, we have a uh, military working dog service award. So it's uh, it's not based off of if you deploy it or not deploy it. It's just if your dog served in the military, uh, they can you know, apply for this service award. And I think that that's key for dog handlers like. 50 years from now, your, your dog's long gone, but at least you have, you know, your little shadow box and you got your urn and you got to, you know, something else to remember your dog by. Like those, those kind of things mean a lot to dog handlers if uh, kind of as time goes on. So, um, and then the biggest thing is when you go into retirement, you know, I retired and I get VA benefits uh, while our dogs don't. There's no like public funds right now to take care of our, our military working dogs in retirement. So, that's kind of the, the biggest need that we uh, feel right now. And you're talking about over 1,100 dogs that we're taking care of on our retired prescription program. So you're talking about a young service member, whatever branch, and they get out and they want to take that dog that they served with, potentially saved their life. It could have been a stateside dog and they just had a great run of five or six years, whatever it is. And they want to adopt that dog and give them a good retirement they deserve. We are talking about a working dog who probably has some joint issues and has some you know, they're nine years old now, and it comes with uh, some of that financial responsibility that the handler will gladly pay. But if we can alleviate that financial burden from the handler even a little bit, um, I think it helps out. And if, at the end of the day, if you're taking care of that war dog, you're going to take care of that veteran. Um, so that's our biggest program. That's our biggest output is, is basically you get signed up on here for the military working dogs retirement prescription program. We get you linked up with our pharmacy. They'll mail the prescriptions uh, to you, and then once a month we pay the bills to the pharmacy. Yeah, I think Ron was saying you guys have like eleven hundred dogs 1100. on that. Yeah. God dang, that's so great. <laughs> that's yeah. insane. Yeah. Uh, when that's, he said that, I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> like, that's I mean, probably one of my favorite parts right now. Is like ever since I've uh, started taking over that part, like we've I've divvied up like most of the programs that I wanted that one. Like I wanted to get like fully involved with this one. So every time someone applies. Uh, I love chatting with them and finding out, tell me about your dog and send me pictures. And yeah, I want to know more about the dogs we're supporting. Like I just, I love that community and just love to be able to, you know, hear more about the dogs we're supporting. And it's, everybody loves to talk about their dogs. So it's always just been a, you know, great conversations. Everybody's been very receptive. So I, I enjoy that part. And then, um, so going forward, I think some of the biggest things is, is, uh, uh, I don't want to change any of the premise that, that Ron and his his guys said. I mean, they they've laid an incredible foundation, and, and just just out of respect alone, I'm not going to change anything they've done. Uh, absolutely love those guys and the foundation they've laid. I think we're going to try to put our focus in and enhancing some of the current programs. Uh, you know, we built a new website uh, at uswardogs.org. Uh, we've uh, started a like social media. Um, because we've had a group of uh, U.S. War Dogs group for years, like uh, 12 years. Um, but as you know, a group is where people can come in and say whatever, you know, dogs are awesome. Here's a picture of a dog, which is phenomenal. But with a page, you can actually get your messaging out. Like, here's what we're doing at War Dogs. Like, here's an update on what we've been doing. 
So between that and Instagram, I've got a guy who runs all that for me. So I think the messaging is getting, uh, that was we're trying to enhance, um, telling some of those stories of some of the people, which also kind of leads back to uh, donations at the end of the day, we're still a nonprofit and we, we just lost our biggest corporate sponsor. They, they closed all their doors due to COVID. Uh, it was like 358 stores, you know, that was a big, that was a big hit. So now you're looking at ways to, uh, not just ask for money, but let me show you what we're doing with the donor's money. Like, let me show you, like, these are the dogs we're taking care of thanks to the, you know, generous donations from the donors. So um, that's another key piece is we're actually working on uh, diversifying our, uh, our our fundraising from grassroots efforts. Like we've gone back out to canine conferences and setting up vendor booths up to looking for, for corporate sponsors has been a big thing. Um, we, we're going to revamp our membership program uh we're gonna roll it out here pretty soon and that's gonna come with some extra perks for just finding out some more of the kind of the inside information about some of the dogs we're supporting so uh, and at the end of the day just kind of creating that canine family and and uh gotta give people a reason to want to support because you're gonna see there's full transparency you're gonna see the dogs that you're supporting and the good you're doing and and i think one of the things that i'm, I'm excited about is like right now i don't have a way to mass communicate with those 1100. I've got them. I am process them. I talk to them individually. Well, right now we're putting all those into a database where I can talk to all of them. Um, and I think within that, you'll find ambassadors for the U.S. War Dog Association, people who are willing to tell their stories, which would, again, just kind of lead to that cycle of, you know, good stories, you know, bringing in donations. Uh, and it's just good vibes, man. Like, I think the world could use some more good stories these days. So, uh, yeah. Very excited about, about that back out there. Yeah, in fact, your uh, your web guy is a guest was a former guest too, Cornier, Danny. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was one of our yeah. Really? Uh, we were in yeah. Danny is their together. fucking web guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, Danny was like episode number like thirty four. or some shit. No, no, yeah, it was way way back in the day. So like when we first started the podcast, but no, yeah, Danny back when he was working for uh, Southern Coast. But I mean, so oh, yeah, Danny's your web guy. So my, my social media guy is a former Marshawk dog handler. Like it's, there you <laughs> go. Yeah, we gotta. Like I don't know. I don't know if you want to get in a street fight with our uh, our board. Like there's <laughs> no. I'm good. I looked at the board. I was like, I know a lot of the name. I know the names on there. I'm like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, no. Nah, good group of dudes, man. Good group. Of dudes. Very <laughs> blessed to work with them. Yeah. So so if I'm a dog handler and I have a war dog and things have been going good, but now the the prescription bills are adding up and I need help, how do I reach you? So we got our, uh, everything is ran through our website, you know, uswardogs.org, and it has different tabs for our various programs, whether it's the awards program or the medical program. Um, even within our medical program, we have a couple different options if, depending on what your dog needs, but the, the, the basic uh, you have to start with is our retired uh, prescription program, and that's what's going to get you started. Even if your dog retires now, and you sign up, but you don't need it for two years. Like once you're signed up, we got you. You're you're locked in until you go direct with a pharmacy and start requesting the prescription medications. But um, you can sign up as early as you want to, as soon as that dog retires. And it has the required documents you got to send us, like a covenant not to sue. There's some things that we'll see to validate that it's a retired military dog. But other than that, it's it's a one form, a one page form. It's a PDF fillable form, and you email it to us and. Uh, we'll send you the coordinating instructions from there, and it's a pretty easy process. Um, outside of that, I think the next more, most popular when it comes to medical is our Thunderstorm, um, our Project Thunderstorm. So it's like dogs that have anxiety. 
Uh, we've got everything from like the anxiety jackets that you can put on dogs if it's around fireworks season, around thunderstorms. You feel you know your dogs start some dogs start shaking when they start getting around uh, you know thunderstorm season. Um, and we also have like these calming uh, tablets. Uh, it's, you know we're not smoking weed or anything, but it's like it's like calming uh, hemp tablets and, and like droplets and stuff. So we got some of that for dogs with deal with anxiety and uh, and then we've even got I just sent out my first on my since I took over. My first wheelchair for a dog, uh, which was pretty special. You know, it's a dog that still has plenty of life. I'm big on quality of life for the dog. You know, it comes down to quality of life. That dog has still got a lot of life to live. It's just having some issues with the hips, mm -hmm. and now he's getting around just fine. And they send you video and pictures, and just, uh, you know, I love it, man. Just being able to support the community that I've, uh, you know, give your heart and soul to, and still be able to support the ones who are still serving or in retirement. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, I mean, that is a because you know, I mean, when um, our, a friend of ours in the podcast and a friend uh, Chloe had Doc or D Doc, he was one of the retired Lackland dogs. He had raging PTSD and was all kinds of problems and with that kind of stuff. And she did a great job. And he was when he was retired. I mean, you know, but he like you know for years he would have problems with fireworks and loud noises. And he was a great dog, but I mean. You know, Chloe largely did that a lot uh, by herself. Um, but yeah, I mean, that would be super. So, I mean, I, I'm sure I, 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 1100 is a lot of dogs, but I'm sure that there are military handlers that have dogs. I mean, shit, one of my buddies is a Marine handler here in Tulsa. Uh, he handled a black lab named Allie. His name's Anthony Marquez. And I don't know if he's even, even knows about the organization, but uh you know anthony's a great guy and he's ally is God, she's got to be 10 or 11 i don't know and, if she's not sign her up yeah i'll send him a text <laughs> i'll send him a text and be like hey you need to sign up for this so uh he's a great dude he's the guy that does all the battlefield crosses he was in singing um he was part of the unit that lost oh, um 17 five. guys yeah they lost 17 dudes in one deployment and he, i was over during that that was 2010 that was a rough one man Yep. And he handled Allie, he handled a bomb dog during that, during that deployment. And uh, so he makes all these battlefield crosses that are, um, he hand carves uh, with chainsaws. Um, and he's delivered all of them to all 17 gold star families from his unit That's over the true. last, yeah, it's a crazy deal. I've been trying to get him on the podcast for a while. They're filming a Netflix thing and he's about as hard to nail down as jello to a wall right now so um yeah i mean he's a great guy uh but yeah i mean that's i i'll send him a text and be like hey you need ali because <laughs> she's i mean she's gray muzzle club for sure so yeah because nobody nobody that um adopts working dogs or is the handler there's not rich people it's, nah. it's working stiffs and Correct. that shit's hard to take care absolutely of, yeah so no. you know what's that I mean, you know how much people love their dogs anyway. I mean, now you're talking about a, a, a dog that performed that kind of a service for you, like this explosive detection or apprehension work. And I mean, that's a different level, man. It's, and so they're going to do what they got to do to take the dog home. But man, it's just, even if it breaks the bank. So that's why we want to try to alleviate that, that financial burden. Yeah. Uswardogs.org. You can also donate on there too, folks. There's a tab for donating. This is not, uh, these guys just don't shit out money. They, they need, uh, you know, help from the, if you care, the help from the public, I'm going to donate. Um, the other thing is on Instagram is uswardogs underscore official. So guys, 
I have 20,000 followers, a little over 20,000 Instagram, and I ain't about shit. I'm going <laughs> to tell you. These guys have 1,012 now because I just followed them. Followers on it. Let's, nah. let's jump this shit up. Come on, guys. Get on there. Yeah. Follow these guys. U.S. War Dogs underscore official. Get on there. Follow them. That helps move the algorithm. That helps keep them in the front. That helps bring people to their page, bring people to the cause, and help them out. And uh, United States War Dog Association on Facebook. I followed him after Ron's thing the other day. Actually, I think I'd already followed him. Um, so let's get out and help these guys, man. They're doing amazing stuff. 1,100 dogs is no freaking joke. It is no joke. I have three, and I'm starving to death. because. <laughs> so. No, I've got two, and they're <laughs> yeah. both shitheads. So I have one. He's running around now. He's I don't know what he did. He's in the other room now. Nope, he's back. Mm. But, yeah, so uh, Eric, where are you at? Uh, Van S canine on Instagram. We are working underscore dog underscore radio. We're uh, on YouTube working dog radio. Please check us out on YouTube. We're really trying to expand that. Ted just mouth kissed his dog. So no, I blew that, on him and he fucking mm-hmm. like, you want to no, see him he, make out with his dog. <laughs> yeah. I do it on YouTube. You got to see it on YouTube. You can yeah, see so fluffy neck meats. Check us out on there. <laughs> and uh, we have a Patreon account working dog radio on Patreon. Where about you? uh ted underscore summers is my personal day-to-day you can see pet stuff there and police dog stuff um and then torchlight canine butter k number nine torchlight pets uh for each individual business and it's separated out um and then hrd police canine our next one's in philly um and then we've got a decoy camp in florida the same in october we got philly and then we got a decoy camp and then we got a swat school so all in october so it's going to be a busy month for us in October. So, uh, yeah, HRD Police K9 uh, on Instagram and Facebook, everywhere else. So, yeah, man, uh, Chris, this was this is awesome uh, for sure, man. It was like um, kind of a full circle, like after like even having Danny on. I mean, early on, right? So it's a first circle, then have Maria on, and then have you on and Ron, and you know we've had ever you know we've had other dudes on, other marine handlers as well, and. Um, like Alec Alcazar and which was a crazy story too. So, I mean, it's been a, a super good, like, uh, like, you know, kind of tying a lot of things together, which is really good. I'm super stoked about it. So I hope that everybody listening to this goes and, you know, follows on Instagram, follows on Facebook and kind of gives support to, um, the five ones that do legitimate work. So like, like this one for example so i mean like yesterday when he said 1100 i was like holy shit that's got to be like there's no way they do 1100 i mean i don't even know what that caught don't tell me because it'll make me shit but i mean i know what like i know what tramadol i know what tramadol and like and remedil cost and it's not cheap so like yeah so i mean i can only imagine what that what the pharmacy bill is just a month so uh yeah so go help um, you know, keep it up man keep up what you guys are doing it's a great cause man i love it good, yeah. good really, place good I, people and i really appreciate this opportunity man just get the word out more and i appreciate everything that y'all doing let's keep on grinding man i love it all right that's it thanks guys appreciate it thanks guys you got your reasons i got my wants still got that feeling but i'm too old 
Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.